Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewertz, Vice President of the Sports Division for North Star Meetings Group and the Executive Editor and Publisher of Sports Travel. And our guests on this episode are the President and CEO of the Sports Events and Tourism Association, Al Kidd, and the founder of Stoll Strategies, Dr. Jennifer Stoll, who played a key role in the recently released State of the Industry Report commissioned by the association. The survey examined the economic impact of the sports Sports event industry in 2020 and 2021, and has some amazing insights on how quickly the industry recovered last year, what aspects of the industry have changed the most since the start of the pandemic, and how destinations and rights holders can use the data to advocate for the work they do day in and day out. If you're involved in any aspect of the sports event industry, this is crucial information for you to be aware of, and there's an incredible story that can be told from the data. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Myrtle Beach Convention Center. Event specialists at the Myrtle Beach Convention Center always ensure that trade shows, conventions, competitive sporting events, and meeting necessities are met. From facility upgrades to the pleasant ocean breeze, our convention facility is the perfect setting for your next event. You can be assured our team not only makes you look like a rock star planner, but also makes the impossible possible. It's no coincidence our professional team, along with being part of one of the top-ranking vacation destinations in the United States, offers your attendees extraordinary experience experiences that are talked about for years to come. So discover a convention center that enables you to get the most out of your next meeting and enjoy Myrtle Beach's abundant sunshine. Add us to your shortlist. Your exclusive tour of the convention center by the beach awaits. Visit MyrtleBeachConventionCenter.com for more information. And now on to the conversation. This is the second time we've had Al Kidd and Jennifer Stoll on the Sports Travel Podcast. The last time was in early 2020 when the pandemic was just becoming evident and an incredible amount of unknown lied ahead. Sports ETA, interestingly, had just released data from its first comprehensive State of the Industry report, which covered data from 2019, right before the world fell off a cliff. It turns out the timing of that study couldn't have been more perfect, since it reflected the high point of the industry and offered a benchmark to use to determine how the recovery from the global pandemic would be measured in years to come. That 2019 report showed that sports-related travel had a direct economic impact of $45 billion that year. Fast forward to now. Now, and Sports ETA has its latest data that covers how bad things caught in 2020, but more importantly, how things rebounded in 2021. The headline number out of the latest report is that sports-related travel accounted for $39.7 billion in 2021, almost a full recovery to the 2019 numbers. Nonetheless, the full state of the industry report paints an even more detailed picture of what the industry looked like last year. From hotel room stays to tax revenue generated to impacts on sports-related staffing at CVBs and sports commissions and sports-related budgets in those destinations. The latest state of the industry report is a data goldmine. In this episode, I sit down with Al and Jennifer to talk through not only the details of the statistics in the report, but how we can all use this information to advocate for the importance of sports-related travel and tell a more global story of why the work we do day in and day out matters. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Al Kidd, Dr. Jennifer Stoll, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Actually, welcome back to the Sports Travel Podcast. And you're in the elite company as some of the few guests that we have had back 
on the program before, and for a very good reason today, as we are going to be talking about economics, sports economics, specifically the impact of the sports event industry from a new study that Sports ETA has just commissioned. Full disclosure, North Star has been a sponsor of this study. We are happy to be behind it. This is important information that we have always thought was valuable to the industry to get some research and data in front of all the different stakeholders. And uh, I'm excited to have you guys back today and delve in a little bit into these numbers. We'll talk big picture. We'll go into some details, of course, into the numbers. But Al, Jennifer, welcome back. It's great to see you guys. Thank you, uh, Jason. We really appreciate it. It's something that we're real proud to be partnered with Northstar on this project. And it's something that Jennifer and I spent a great deal of time pre and post trying to determine what's the best way to present the picture of what we've got to offer and what the sports tourism industry brings to the party. And so thank you so much for taking the time to bring us back on. Well, happy to have you both. So let's just dive in right away here. Al, I thought I'd start with you with, to me, what is kind of the headline from this report. So this is a research study, Sports ETA Commission, Tourism Economics was involved as well. You looked at uh, data across a, a number of fronts. You had members of Sports ETA submit information to you as well. And this is a follow-up on an initial study. Let's start there. Last time we had you on the podcast, we were talking about a study that looked at 2019 numbers, but we were having that conversation, as you guys recall, uh, sort of at the very beginning stages of the pandemic where we knew 2020 was not going to be pretty. It was a pretty scary time because we didn't know how long that was going to be the case. And yet you had this baseline data from 2019. The timing was almost perfect in one way because you had numbers that reflected sort of the height of the industry at that time before everything took a turn. And so this latest study takes a look at basically how bad things got in 2020, but just as interestingly, how things recovered in 2021. And so that's kind of the the gist of the data that we're looking at here. And Al, you know, the headline that comes out to me is that looking at how things recovered in 2021, things didn't get exactly back to where they were in 2019, but to me, they were pretty close. So I'm just curious to get your big picture take on whether that surprised you, kind of what you thought that number would look like and what your thoughts are there on what that recovery was looking like, at least you know through last calendar year. Sure. Yeah, and little did we know that the 2019 study was going to be the high watermark for our industry. At the, at the time we commissioned the work and began to look at the total package, our, our intent then was to get the deepest and broadest reflection of what the industry really represented to all of our, not only our constituents, but to communities across America. So that was our kind of our, our primary intent. It was the widest research yet to be attempted, and we accomplished that. So then we roll forward, and of course, we all know we got hit pretty good during COVID, and there were all kinds of things that happened, and we won't spend a lot of time talking about that, except for the fact that we were able to quantify that the, the decrease from our high watermark was well over 50% across America, and it had significant impact on everything we've, we've, we've heard about from budgets to staff size and so on. So when Jennifer and I were beginning to formulate this next study, the good thing is we have we now we do have a high watermark, and that's a great place to be able to launch from. So we can now measure the, the recovery, if you will, uh, of, of the kind of work we do. Now, keeping in mind that we always knew that sport tourism was always a catalyst, a consistent catalyst to tourism business across America. There, there were very, there were little bits of peaks and valleys, and some of the, the nuances changed about the delivery and where it was delivered during the course of COVID. But the real story is 
that sports tourism is the catalyst to reentry into business. And we found that more and more in 21 when the study came out. So when we when we received the numbers back from 2021 and, and Jennifer walked me through, the most important thing that we found was the diversification of the reentry was across the country. The COVID rules that applied across the country was a very uneven opening. And so all of a sudden now we're seeing 21 and the impacts of 21 really had uh, kind of a monumental effect on the destinations in that their budgets were cut in 21 and the amount of staff people they had to do the work was was reduced. However, the recovery economically came back to nearly $40 billion in direct spend in 93 in, in total economic impact. So that was the most enlightening part, Jason, of what we learned on, on the coming back. So we were very encouraged because the additional data that Dr. Stoll will go into in, in some relative detail uh, further on during, the, during this conversation really begins to pinpoint where the opportunities exist in the sports tourism industry and on the value chain as we kind of grow this thing through. Yeah, Al, that's a good point. And Jennifer, a great point to bring you into the conversation. Obviously, you were kind of the point person on all of this research and, and were in, as involved as anybody on pulling all this stuff together. So obviously, I'm curious to get your take as well, because one of the things that struck me, Jennifer, from all the results here was really just the, the strength and resiliency of the sports-related travel market. I mean, when you look at our sports market compared to even other group travel, I think some of the data we're going to talk about here underscores what we all instinctively know, and that it is a very robust market and during the worst of the pandemic, probably performed as well as, as anybody. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, you know, we've all been listening to how strong the leisure travel market is. And for us to actually have the numbers to substantiate what we felt was that, hey, where sports is happening across the country, it's really having, you know, in some cases, banner years. But what I think the data showed us is that it was happening all across the country, right? The, the rollouts may have been different in terms of when sport sort of reemerged. But it was early on to do that. And when it did reemerge and folks were able to participate, they were coming in droves. Yeah. Well, let's go into some of the numbers. Al just touched on this as well, because uh, I do want to talk some specifics in here. Let's get some context here. The, the big number out of this report, when we look at 2021, it showed that sports-related travel had an economic impact of $39.7 billion in direct spending. And Al made reference to you know over $90 billion when you look at indirect spending. So Jennifer, just so some quick context for those who are, are not as familiar, this difference between direct spending and indirect spending. These are both big numbers that we're talking yeah. about you know, in the, in the tens of billions of dollars. But why do you break it up that way? And just in brief, what do those numbers represent? Yeah. So that 39.7, almost $40 billion in direct spending. And then just for clarity, that $91.8 billion is total economic impact. So what this basically means is you've got your direct spending. That's people coming to your market spending dollars. And I love looking at that first because it's really those dollars coming into your community that really wouldn't have otherwise been there had it not been for the sporting events that our destinations and event rights holders are putting on across the country. So you take that direct impact number, but then you've got these other facets and you alluded to one indirect and then there's a third component induced. So indirect right. is... Those, those things like you come to the community and your team goes to a restaurant and that restaurant pays the service staff or a vendor you have buys local goods or services to help support your event. That's indirect. It's not the visitors 
coming in and spending that money. It is money that's being spent in that community, part and parcel to that event being there. Now, the third component of that is induced spending. And induced spending is you've gone to that restaurant, the restaurant's paid that service person, that service person is then in turn spending their wages in the community. So that would be things like, you know, I'm going, they're going out to eat or they're paying their rent or they're going to the grocery store and that sort of thing. So there's really three legs to the stool. And it's often, you know, it's often confusing. I'm, I'm not an economist. Most of us in the in industry aren't. I love looking at that direct spending number because it's very tangible. We can see that those are dollars coming in. But in actuality, when you take that direct spending, that indirect spending and the induced spending, um, for simple analogy, I like to think of it as, a, you know, a cocktail or something. You put it in a cup and you shake it up and pour it out. And what you get is that 90 plus billion in total economic impact, which to me, it, as I'll mention, that was only 10, you know, 10% off from what we saw in 2019, which we all consider a high watermark. Right. And let's just plan to use cocktails as an analogy, I think, throughout. Because if any analogy. Well, we're, we're, we're recording this at 723 in the morning, our time. Jason, it is so true. It is, it is. It is. A, for those who are listening, we were having this conversation early in the morning. So a cocktail is an interesting uh, notion. But Jennifer, so this $39.7 billion in direct spending, just for some context, we talked at the front end about what those 2019 numbers were. And I think that number was around $45 billion. So as I said, we're getting... you know evidence that we're already getting back up to that. And this was last year's numbers, doesn't even reflect this year's. Al, you know, I want to bring you back into the conversation. One of, of course, one of the metrics that our industry for for years has looked to has been room nights. And you have some of that in this report as well. In 2021, we reported about 65 million room nights generated from sports-related travels. Uh, so a good number down from, I think, 69 million from the last report. But what's interesting to me, as you go through this entire document, there really isn't much of an emphasis on that. That's certainly one factor that people look at, and for obvious reasons, as we'll even talk about later. But Al, maybe some context here about why there are so many other factors in this study. I mean, you're looking at tax revenue generated, jobs generated. Talk a little bit about the significance there of this wide range of impact that you're actually studying in this report? Well, that's a great question. And it feeds right into the narrative that we are have been uh, sending to the market for some time, and, and we're getting some great acceptance across the market and how you value and, and evaluate sports and its total impacts. And so, you know, in, in the course of the data that is being presented here, it talks about things like owned and operated events. And so, those destinations that have budgets over a million dollars, you know, you're approaching 75 to 80% of those markets have owned and operated events. So there's some of the shift that's occurring. Now we are more than anecdotally noting. And so those activities and the things that are becoming part of the, of the new definition of success, the wider, broader, more important definition is something that's going to be additive as we go forward. Now we cannot dismiss the fact that the hotel, motel industry and room nights drives a vast majority, nearly 90% of our total uh, revenues that come into our destinations who are able to stage events. About 80%, 80-85% are direct you know, hotel tax money or TID money that come in. So you know, we, we, we don't want to dismiss that, but there's other things that are now coming into play around some of these activities. And so you've got legacy programs, you've got a lot of destinations right now that are doing localized return on mission events and activities that begin to build up the, the awareness within the marketplace about the value of sports, not just in bringing uh, economic impact into the community, but having some community value from a resident sentiment study and, and resident sentiment understanding. So 
those factors are well documented in this report. And, you know, one of the things that, that is really apparent with this report, the total amount of travelers that we were able to identify around the sports tur- tourism and travel industry was only was less than 3% down from our wa- high watermark. But the difference in spending is, is the shift in how our consumers are consuming the events. So you'll see the, the decrease comes in things like airfare, you know, the way, the way they get to these events, you know, the, the, the concentric circle around where the, where the drive market is. So the beauty of this report, it begins to reflect what you're talking about, Jason, is the importance of hotel motel stays. And, you know, well over 600,000 hotel stays again took place this year. And so we're looking at this in a much broader picture as we redefine the value of what we have. And so th- in this report this time, you're getting some of that specific data that came as a direct result from input from our destinations. Yeah, Jennifer, that's interesting too. I mean, we can talk about numbers, but it's always fun to talk about what those numbers represent. I'll just hit on an interesting point there too. When we look at the number of, not just the number of people who are traveling to sports events, but how they're getting there and what that could mean for destinations trying to market. If more people are, at least as of last year, let's say, driving when they previously might've flown to an event. Yeah. When you look at that volume number, I mean, that's that's a shift in how they're doing it. And it's pretty clear they're still participating and attending sporting events, but how they're doing it is looking different. As I'll mention, drive markets is a big factor, uh, perhaps maybe not taking the whole family, maybe maybe taking a parent and a, a kid who's participating versus everybody, and, and maybe in some circumstances, not tacking on that extra day. So it just sort of shifts how, how we looked at the volume. But you know, to Al's point about this broader impact, I've got kids and remember that phase where it's like, well, why? You know, why, why, why is always the question. And that's always my mentality going into this report. And when we look at the the room nights and the value on the on the local market, you know, I think we can't just stop at visitors coming in to show our value. But if we stop there, we're missing that broader why. So you say, okay, why why do we want more visitors coming in? Well, it's it's because we're trying to do something good for our community. We're trying to build our community. And those are communities where visitors come for a short period of time, but we're there all the time. So how do we show that value back to our local market? That emerges in things like job creation and local tax revenue that goes back into the city coffers. Those are those are dollars that are used to subsidize, you know, parks, the roads, the safety, the attractions and restaurants that we enjoy all year round. Right. And Jennifer, just to stick with you for a moment, because I know this is an area we've talked about in the past uh, to that point. One of the areas of emphasis in this report is the amount of tax revenue that sports-related travel generates. This report showed $12 billion uh, across the board, about half what I thought was interesting too, about half of that to the federal government, half of that, you know, to local and state taxes. There's a great message there. And one of the things I love about this report and that we were excited to be around it is at the end of the day, this is advocacy to me as well. You've got some some numbers, some data that people in our industry can go back to their local communities and say, maybe you don't realize this, but this is the impact that we're having when we're bringing all these sporting events into town. And that number seemed to be a big one to me. Yeah, and that's that's sort of why I put the emphasis on looking at direct spending first in our market because those are very, you know, that's a very understandable concept to say new dollars in. And when we talk about economic impact and total economic and induced and all that, you can it's real easy to start getting you know glazed over look from your local elected <laughs> officials and otherwise, right? I think we've all been in, in those rooms before. 
But the tax side of it is really tangible. You know, you've got the lodging tax, which is which is funding by and large a large part of our destination organizations, right? And that's that's one thing that's keeping our visitors coming. Those people have heard me talk about this. This is kind of our feeding the beast cycle, where the beast is keeping those visitors come in. But on the sales side, tax side of it, those are dollars that are for the most part always going right back to the city coffers. So those are dollars in that wouldn't have otherwise be there. Those get allocated out in the community, as I mentioned, for parks and roads and safety and all those things. And that's really where we're getting at the crux of like improving our communities. So the advocacy piece is a story to tell is that that these visitors coming in are fantastic. They're allowing our organizations to thrive and do what we do, but we're actually using them over here to build local community. And there's a lot of factors that come along with that that help us tell this broader story of our impact. You are listening to the Sports Travel Podcast. This episode is being sponsored by the Myrtle Beach Convention Center. Event specialists at the Myrtle Beach Convention Center always ensure that trade shows, conventions, competitive sporting events, and meetings necessities are met. From facility upgrades to the pleasant ocean breeze, our convention facility is the perfect setting for your next event. You can be assured our team not only makes you look like a rock star planner, but also makes the impossible possible. It's no coincidence our professional team, along with being part of one of the top-ranking vacation destinations in the U.S., offers your attendees extraordinary experiences that are talked about for years to come. So discover a convention center that enables you to get the most out of your next meeting and enjoy Myrtle Beach's abundant sunshine. Add us to your shortlist. Your exclusive tour of the convention center by the beach awaits. Visit MyrtleBeachConventionCenter.com for more information. And now, back to the episode. Al, let me bring you back in as well to a point that you were touching on earlier. Uh, while I would argue that the vast majority of this research that we're talking about here sends a, a positive message, there are still some areas that might be of, uh, of some concern in here. And one of the things that jumped out to me and you touched on earlier was uh, there's no denying that most of the destinations in our industry are still largely funded through uh, hotel tax revenue. When you look at your report, you know, it seems the smaller the destination, you know, the, the greater the emphasis they have on getting their funding uh, that way. Especially given what's happened here the last couple of years, when we you know we saw the danger of you know when hotel rooms were not filling up nearly a, as fast. I'm curious to get your thoughts on. Uh, whether any of that is a, or how concerned you are that so many destinations still have that, you know, as the majority of their funding, is that a risk moving forward? I mean, there, of course, there are just so many other ways that uh, destinations can make revenue. And that seems to be one of the big ones, but uh, I'm curious, Al, I don't want to make too big of a point of it, but uh, it did jump out at me that we're, we're still seeing, you know, a pretty high percentage of our destinations funded that way. Yeah, and you know that's one of the things we just have to address straight on. I, you know, people out there I've, that I've run across, um, and wish it weren't so, but you know the reality is this is the the primary funding mechanism here in the United States, which differs radically from how things are done internationally, as Jennifer and I have, are well aware of. But you know, one of the things that um, is, is really apparent is not only has the source of funding remained consistent. There has been a long, deep conversation with our brethren over Destinations International about diversification of, of revenue sources because purely destination marketing organizations are driven by hotel motel stays. And in some cases, they may have some you know, anecdotal revenue around membership. And because our membership is really a kind of a conglomeration of a destination management company, it's part of a CVB. Most of our members are parts of CVB, so their funding is from that source. There isn't a large enough pool 
of available revenue from other sources to really begin to bring balance to the importance of the hotel motel stays. So there's no, and the revenue generated through TIDs or tax districts, tax improvement districts, and grants typically come from city governments from tax money that comes through transit occupancy tax. So no matter how you you name the source of revenue, it all comes from transient occupants through the hotel tax, the grant money, the TID money, the direct hotel money coming to the, the DMOs. So with the majority of our members being from that ilk, being part of a, of a destination management organization, you know, we've had, we've been engaging in conversation about diversification. We can only diversify so far. So you still have, as I said earlier, large, you know, portions of the money that comes into these organizations funded through the hotels. But those that are uh, getting a little more creative and, and trying to establish membership of creating value for and creating a membership around their destination, having uh, other kinds of events in the local market, you know, banquets for halls of fames or recognition for local high school athletes, you will pick up some additional revenue. And keeping in mind that the um, still a vast majority of our budgets, over 80% of the budgets of our members are less than $2 million. So we, the, the amount of money we, and I say we as the, as the Royal We and Destinations, we'll, while we do get you know a big chunk of that through the means of the hotels, if, if we pick up some of these other activities and events are able to be uh, selective and productive in producing those, we're going to be fine. Now, the one thing that is troublesome that's tied to that is the information we were able to gather this year on the amount of destinations that are redeploying their money in a different way. And the different way that I'm speaking of that concerns me more is the amount of bid fees that are going out. And, you know, well over 90% of our destinations who uh, uh, have budgets, you know, half a million and above are paying bid fees for these events. It's, it's an interesting situation that the deployment of the money for those bid fees, and then when you look at actually the activity that takes place and the amount of destinations that produce youth events, which were, which were over 95%, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of panorama of economics of how do you make this work? So the point is that, you know, we want to try to diversify. Um, the good news, bad news, our budgets are smaller. So the diversification numbers that we bring in through additional anecdotal revenue from other sources will be important and valuable, but we just can't shy, shy away from the fact that hotel motel money is there and we just have to work our tails off to try and diversify revenue so that we don't get stuck as bad as our, our friends on the other side. Now, one last comment about that. In conversation with DMO presidents around the country, they fully recognize now because uh, the value of sports travel and sports tourism. And the reason I can say that is not only from just one-on-one -on -one conversations and group conversations at their, at their meetings, uh, they saw that that kept them in business uh, to the degree business was available in their markets. And sports did deliver its place, its catalyst place in the tourism industry value chain. It's interesting, Alan. We touched on this earlier, but just to clarify, I mean, in this report, you've got aspects of it that were you know purely research based on uh, you know data through Longwoods and tourism economics that they put together. You also went out to your membership and asked them to submit quite a bit of information. I think you got a very nice response from them, you know, for a good portion of this report that you're touching on a, a few points. And you brought up one that I wanted to talk about as well. Probably it's a little surprise when you asked your members, the destination members, what their budgets look like, you know, last year in 2021 compared to two, uh, 2019, yeah. you know, still about half of them said that their budgets have decreased. And that's just the reality, I think, of, of what it was. I'm, I'm curious for both of you how 
concerned you are about that or just knowing what you've seen so far, even this year in, in 22, as things are starting to come back, if you would expect that those numbers would start trending in a, a slightly more positive direction? Yeah, I'll make one comment and I'll defer to my my uh, colleague, uh, Dr. Stoll. She knows more of the specific detail. But the one thing about 22 that we're anticipating was is a, a an uptick from 21. The uptick, I don't want to get predictive uh, because I would have been way wrong on the 21 prediction had I predicted 21's recovery. 22 will recover, but 22 is still somewhat damaged by the budget decreases and COVID. You know, look, COVID's not gone away. There's still been a lot of events that have been canceled in 2021, and it's dribbled into 22 in some cases. And so COVID is still lingering, and the issues around COVID still have a have an effect. But and it and we believe it affected our symposium still the numbers you know for our second symposium in Fort Worth which we felt was a very positive and enthusiastic meeting and people got a lot out of it still we're short of where we were in 19 by a couple hundred people and and you know 25 percent less so we do anticipate more of a recovery with the budgets as hotels more hotels come back online to feed that beast that Jennifer talks about so my general comment is. We're optimistic that 22 will continue to show improvement. 23 is the year that we believe we're going to start to really make some hay and possibly exceed 19. But I will defer to Jennifer on some of the specifics uh, about the destinations that participate in our study. Yeah, Jason, you're right. We, we kind of divide that study up into two parts. One is the overall economic picture, and then the second is really diving into these destination profiles. So what, what are our destination members seeing um, on a day-to-day basis. A budget is a big factor of that. You know, I, I don't think it was surprising to look at decreases. I, I don't know that I'm not optimistic going forward. I am. I think there's a whole new set of circumstances that we're looking at, a whole new set of factors that are impacting um, some related to the pandemic still and some not related to the pandemic, things like inflation and gas prices and labor shortages and wage increases. And you could go on down the line. So it's really hard for me as a researcher to draw necessarily an apples to apples analysis to be able to say, you know what, I'm looking at this growth growth trajectory and I'm comfortable in saying that um, our 2019 numbers would should be eclipsed or, or or whatnot going forward. Time will tell on that, right? We're in the we're in the midst of a very volatile market in general and in our industry too. One of the uh, pieces of data in here that I just thought was interesting, you asked your members just what their staffing levels were, uh, specifically for sports-related salespeople at at the destinations. And on average, uh, destinations reported that they have about seven sales employees, sports sales employees per destination. Obviously, if you're a smaller city, that number is going to be lower, of course. And if you're a a major market, that number is going to be higher. But that, to me, didn't seem like a a terrible number. I'm kind of curious. We know, Al, you touched on it as well, just with the, the moving parts, even at your own annual symposium. I was there, saw a lot of new people uh, in the industry that I uh, hadn't seen before. I'm curious what some of your takeaways are, maybe Al or, or Jennifer, feel free to weigh in as well on sort of this changing landscape of uh, employees in the industry. Some of that you know, seems to be buried in, in the numbers here in this report as, as you dive through it of uh, not just what the staffing levels are, but uh, kind of who that represents and what's happening in the market right now. Yeah, again, I'll make one general comment and then defer to, to Jennifer. But one thing just to make a comment, and this is a, a bit of an editorial comment, we were really pleased with the number of destinations that participated this time around. It, it's up significantly from the last one, and we hope it goes up significantly the next time we do the study. 
The importance is that we get better data. So we get called on all the time for information around all aspects of sport tourism. And this year, we were very comfortable with the number of participants of destinations that took place. And we'd like even more. So thank you all you who participated in the, in the data collection. The more data we can get, the, the better the data is going to be. And so the, the one thing on the, the staffing and everything, Jennifer will get into some of that detail, but it's still compressed. And as, as we see going forward, my enthusiasm that is probably a little different than Jennifer's is there seems to be some signals out there with some of the destinations growing and building around this. Now, we'll see. As Jennifer said, time will tell. Uh, but it's going to take some additional funding into the space to be able to really do that. But, Jen, um, you know, you could take it from there on some of the specific yeah. comments as it relates to the membership data that they provided to us. Yeah, I think, you know, from a staffing perspective, it really probably correlates with the amount of business they have and the budget that they have. So uh, while the, while we did see some budget dip, a, a large portion of the destinations who responded are saying, hey, we expect our budget to go up in the future and we or next year, and we expect the number of events to go to go up as we move forward. So, uh, you know, the logical extension of that is more resources available and, you know, probably more hands on deck to be able to help support those activities in the in the future. The staffing, budget size, number of events, those are all going to be key indicators when we're looking at repeating this study in a couple of years and really seeing how that bounce back occurred over a period of time. We always say in, in, in research world, three is a trend. This is the second iteration of our study and the nature of the pandemic is going to make it really hard to find a, a, a trend line. But you know, if we look at 2021 as a, a, another what one data point going forward, I think we're going to have a lot more information as we go into evaluation of 2022 and 2023. And Jason, one just quick comment you had asked about the shift in, in, the, in the people that are our members. If we take 500 destinations as our membership and, and that's where we are, 150 destinations had brand new people, many of whom had never worked in sports before. So that's a specific number that really Show that showed its face at symposium this time around. There was really significant interest in the education programs, and so there's a lot of learning and a lot of education that we're going to be engaged in. So, you know, when you're looking at about a third uh, being replaced as a result of whatever conditions in the market that took place that replaced them, that's what we're facing in terms, and we're going to be, you know, excited to try and help them bring them along and be better, better in the sports tourism industry. Yeah, well, that's a, a good point. And as we as we wrap up here uh, as well, we talked before about just how we can use this report and this data really to advocate for the work that uh, all your members are doing in their local communities, and that includes uh, rights holders as well. Uh, we're not just talking about destinations here. You know, they have a story to tell. Also, it's one of the things we love about this report. And as you take a deep dive into it, there's plenty more in here than even we've discussed during this conversation. But you know, for both of you, I guess Al and, and Jennifer, how can destinations, or even for that matter, you know, rights holders and, and your industry suppliers, how can they best take advantage of the information that's in here? I mean, they're going back to their communities; they have a story to tell. It seems to me that uh, whatever these numbers are, they're armed with some good information here uh, that they can use to their advantage. But what's the message? that you guys have for them uh, as far as taking full advantage of this research that you're able to put in front of them and use it hopefully for the better good. You know, the one thing I was going to mention, Jason, you you touched on it. It's an advocacy tool. I mean, in its in its core, this is what this research is about, is providing an additional, you know, highly credible 
piece of information for our members to take and use in the local markets, within their organizations, and, and across the board. The advocacy piece is paramount. But I would say that that's only part of it. The, the other part of it is really taking a look at it to dig into th- things like budgets and funding mechanisms and look for those trends and insights for things that we need to be proactive about into the future. You know, diversification of revenue streams is one that jumps out. You know, while we're using this as a tool in one hand, on the other hand, we need to be using it to take an internal reflection on our own business operations and start to look at as an industry and what can we do within our organizations and what roles do we play in our community and how can this information help us better serve the the gaps to build our community? That's that's ultimately what we're after here. Yeah, just to piggyback on that, uh, and I'll reinforce uh, the the general thought that Jennifer has there. I'll, I'll leave it that there's really three three aspects uh, that I believe that members can get a better pulse on this. The, the, the first thing is um, we, we introduced a more complete community asset picture with the questioning, the line of questioning and the, the data that we produced. You know, when you start to get into things like sports also produces a legacy within, within communities or it's sustainable or what's the earned media or the social media value. So the introduction of the narrative of the of the real more complete picture of sports to a community, we know that we're a community asset. Uh, where trade shows or association meetings and group meetings on the tourism side are vitally important to the economic impact in a, in a local community, the perception that the, the the user consumer within that market has around that topical area differs from sport. Nearly everybody's participated or has somebody that they know participate in sports and the impact that it has in a community. And we want to begin to quantify and qualify that. So this study begins to introduce the concept in a much deeper way. And we're excited about where that's going to go. And and we're in the middle right now of developing the toolbox that's going to be able to evaluate that. The second aspect that I believe this study really does, if you look at a macro level, it begins to really introduce negotiation honesty. It shows where the changes have occurred in the in where people are spending money and how they're traveling and the utilization of hotels, the utilization of airlines. And, you know, with rising costs, as Jennifer mentioned earlier, and now we're going to be faced in 22, 23 with supply chain issues and, you know, the cost of living going up and, you know, recession, all those words that we don't want to hear, that will have some level of impact. So the negotiations that takes place between an event owner, a hotel, and a destination have to have some level of re re-leveling uh, and, and a rediscussion around that. And the third thing is that we got to continue to drive the point to diversify sources of revenue. And as Jennifer just touched on, the funding is what is vitally important for these organizations to have the fuel to create the engine to diversify away from single sole source revenue into the pool of money to use to, to build tourism. The last thing that I'll, I'll leave you with is this is just the beginning of the kind of data that we really want to produce. This report, we're really proud of, uh, of every edition that we produce and the amount of work that was done uh, by Jennifer in managing the resources that we use, which are the top in the industry and, and a number of sources are able to be interwoven into a story that gives people all kinds of insights. I, I wouldn't pick out points and, and try and use those as the as the culmination of what this data does. But as a total package, this presents a really good overview 
of inside and outside the industry and the impact it has around community and, and the importance of it. The thing that we want to do as we go forward is we want to we want to broaden our research. So we're we're about ready to launch a, a major initiative around evaluation of the sports facilities industry. We think that's a vital partner right now. That's that's part of this the whole process around sport tourism. And so we are we are spending time and effort to do that and working very closely with the North Star leadership to develop some some areas around that that we can report back to the industry. So we're happy with our report. We're we're excited that North Star is part of this. And you know, we're going to continue to develop resources that not only are informative, but help in negotiations, but also as you both have pointed out, that is a major tool for advocacy for what we do across America. Excellent. Well, that seems like a, a perfect place to wrap up our conversation, Al. I appreciate that. I would agree what you guys are doing is exciting. There is a ton of information in here. So I would definitely encourage anyone listening here, if they haven't already, to download the full report, take a deep dive. Uh, obviously, if they've got questions, I'm sure Sports ETA and, and your team would be happy to go even deeper. But uh, you know, I think it's a tremendous job, Jennifer and, and Al and, and your team on putting this together. I'm excited to see where it goes from here, as you talked about. Uh, while inherently, I think we think this year in 22 is going to be it's going to look even better than 21. You do bring up a number of points that uh, everyone is aware of with inflation and rising costs and everything else. We'll see how that factors in. But congratulations on getting it to this point. You've got two fantastic reports between 19 and now what we've seen from you know 21 to build on. And I'm excited to see where it all goes. But most importantly, I just want to thank both of you for your time and attention being here with us on the podcast. I think we're going to have to make this a regular appearance for you. So uh, <laughs> maybe not at seven in the morning next time, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But looking forward, uh, as always, just to staying in touch with both of you and following the tremendous work that the association is doing. So thanks again, uh, Al, Jennifer, for your time today and look forward to continuing the conversation down the road. Thank you, Jason. Thanks so much, Jason. This has been another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason words for sports travel and thanks for listening.